What's going on, guys? My name is Travis Chappell, and I am here to inspire you to go bigger with your dreams and goals so you can give bigger with your profits. Welcome to the Go Big to Get Big podcast, where we are challenging six-figure earners to become seven-figure givers. My name is Randy Mullen, and each week, my co-host Steve Arneson and I are interviewing successful entrepreneurs, professional athletes, philanthropists, and other high-performing humans that are inspiring us with their stories. We go deep into uncovering how they have become successful and why generosity is an impact they want to leave on this world. Our mission is to have you leave this podcast wanting to go bigger with your dreams and goals so that you can give bigger with your profits. Let's not waste any more time and jump right into it. All right, our guest today is Travis Chappell. Travis is the host of the Build Your Network podcast and the Figuring It Out podcast, where he has interviewed some of the top public figures in the world, such as Rob Dyrdek, Shaquille O'Neal, Grant Cardone, and many others. He is also the founder of the startup Gustio, where they are an online booking platform to match guests with their podcast and is quickly becoming one of the most well-connected people that I know. His tagline, leave every relationship better than you found it, is a true example of how Travis lives his life. In this episode, we chat with him about the challenges he faced in starting a software company, how he was able to interview such successful people, and he even let out a few tears while he was sharing about a massive act of giving that changed his life. You're going to love this episode, and so let's jump on in. Travis, welcome to the show. What's up, guys? What up, dude? It's so cool. I was just, uh, Steve and I were just chatting about how, you know, we met you at a mastermind a few years ago. uh, And the mastermind was built around companies that were building businesses and giving back. And now we've we've watched each other's journey along the way. And we kind of started out similar, similar levels coming into the mastermind. And we've both scaled and grown quite a bit since. And uh, it's almost exciting for us just to get to touch base again and learn more about the growth and over the past few years and where you've been. And uh, I want to get deep into some of your business and uh, what you're doing now, but I would love for you to just walk us through originally, like the journey of how you went from being a door knocker to creating a successful business podcast. Cause I know that's, that's a big jump and a big transition for somebody. And that was when we first met you to the transition that you made. So we just love yeah. to hear how you made that transition. Yeah, that is true, man. It's funny thinking back uh, when I first joined thrive uh, the mastermind, cause I was just, I was just in a position where I was trying to learn more and I was trying to get to know people. And like, other than that, I didn't know how it was going to benefit me. I didn't know. I didn't even have a business, you know, at the time it was just like, a. it was like, I, I was running, I was running masterminds because like my brand was all about networking. So I was like, Hey, may as well run these masterminds. I know some cool people, bring them into a group and charge for it. And like, that was like the building blocks of everything that I have today. So, um, yeah, I, I, Grew up in a largely religious community that um, I refer to lovingly now as a bubble um, because I graduated kindergarten on the same campus that I graduated eighth grade high school and college from. So literally from the time that I was four to the time that I was about 22, uh, almost seven days a week, I was on this campus for church, for school, for activities, for sports, for plays, for musicals, for whatever it is, you name it. And in that world is very much like, not like forced, but 
uh, indoctrinated, if you will, uh, to go into full-time ministry. And so that was, that was, I committed to full-time ministry when I was 12 years old. I thought that was what I was going to do with my life. Got to college and right before I graduated, I started realizing that I didn't really want to do that. And it was kind of taboo in that world to not do that. If you signed up to do it, um, it was kind of looked as like you going back on your word, even though like I was 12 when I committed to it, you know, like nobody thought to question the 12 year old making the decision of what to do with the rest of his life. But anyway, so I, um, I didn't know what to do after that. Cause I graduated, got a double major in Bible and church ministries, but my degree was unaccredited. So I have an unaccredited Bible degree, which doesn't really like, you know, make employers line up to hire you out of college. And so at that point I was like, I don't really know what to do, but I knew that I didn't like tell people tell me what to do. Um, and I knew that I wanted to make money. And so uh, I did the only thing I really had any skill in at the time, which was door-to-door sales. And I had done that in college. I was pretty good at it. And so I was like, let's see what happens if I do this full-time. And full-time is relative because I was probably working like 20 hours a week. When you're doing door-to-door, like m- most door-to-door is like summer programs, right? They work 10, 12 hours a day from May to September, and that's it. We were a year round. So to avoid burnout and to maximize our knocking hours, we would just go when people were more likely to be home. So we'd go out, you know, four hours a day from, you know, 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. in the summer or from like 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. or 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. in the winter. And obviously it would vary uh, from day to day on how long we were out on doors. But what ended up happening at the end of that first year is I was, I was like, I was 22, working 20 hours a week. I pulled six figures. And I thought at the time, like this, like, first of all, I thought I was, I was balling, you know what I mean? And you don't realize how little six figures is until you make it for the first time. And you're like, Oh, I don't, I, I think I need more than, than this. If Yeah. Like you, you think you think you're balling until you realize that you're not. Um, and then counterintuitively, what happened is like I feel like most 22-year-olds, if they make six figures, like they're like, okay, sweet, I'll just do this for a while. I I, I just wasn't that way because I knew that I didn't want to keep doing it the way that I keep making money the way that I was making money. And I, I just kind of looked into the future and didn't want to be 32, 33 knocking on doors still, not to knock that industry, pun intended. Um, but I just didn't feel like it was for me. At that point, it was just like lost because now I'm 23. I have a mortgage. I have a wife because I got married to my high school sweetheart before I graduated college. And uh, I don't know what to do with my life. And, you know, I felt like a 14 year old, 15 year old going through like career day in, in high school. Cause I was like looking up FBI applications and police department and fire department and like looking at real estate, a real estate agent. Cause that's what my dad did. Just looked at so many different things. And that was when I discovered personal or yeah, uh, personal development for the first time. Because uh, I, I was just, I was back against the wall. I didn't know what, what I was going to do with my life. Um, and I felt like I didn't have the time to figure it out. Like I had a mortgage and a wife. I couldn't just go sleep on my mom's couch until I figured out what I wanted to do. You know, I had, I had a timeline. Listening to audiobooks, reading books, finally came, you know, stumbled on podcasts. And that was when I started listening, consuming a ton of podcasts. I really liked the audio um, platform, like the conversational style, like that I could learn a lot from it, still be kind of entertained. And I could listen as I did stuff around the house or went to the gym or whatever. And so I really took to it. And then after a while, I was like, hey, this might be kind of cool to start a podcast and see if I can make some money off of this thing. You know, some people that I was following were making a lot of money podcasting and I figured like, this would be kind of cool. I, I want to be able to travel and still make money. I want to be able to talk to interesting people. seems like a cool gig. So launched the podcast. Um, and then, uh, that was August of 2017, launched the podcast. Uh, and I had already invested about 
$12,000 into a coach and a mastermind, uh, but it was only a three-day mastermind. And so when I was on the tail end of the podcast launch, that was like August of 2017. Thrive 3, I believe, my first Thrive, I was invited to by the guy that was the head of the mastermind that I was in, which was John Lee Dumas. And John Lee Dumas spoke at Thrive that year. And so he invited me to come work his booth for him and like sell journals. So I was in the back, just kind of like observing Thrive from a distance. And uh, John made a direct intro to Cole, which is how I got to know Cole for the first time, heard about his mastermind, asked a couple people in the mastermind how they felt about it. And I was like, all right, cool. I'm, I, I don't know what I'm doing still. Let me just jump into this thing. And so I dropped 15K on the new mastermind. And uh, for those wondering how I was making money during this time, I went back on doors because that was the only way I knew how to make money. And I figured like, you know, while I'm doing this side hustle thing, trying to get this podcast thing going, I don't know how long it's going to take me to make money on it. Door to door allows me flexibility and it allows me to make like commissions on selling deals so I can choose when I work and work as much as I need to, to pay for the things that I need to pay for to get the business going. So when I met you guys at Thrive One, I was still doing door-to-door uh, -door, uh, water uh, purification machines uh, because that was the best way I knew how to make money. I could go work for two weeks and pull in 15, 20 grand and then like take the next two weeks to focus on podcasting. And then eventually what made the transition solid is basically what happened was ended up moving to Vegas and I built a team of like three to four sales reps that were selling with me because I was like, I don't want to be on doors anymore. I want to get a team. I'll train them. They'll go sell. I'll make some overrides and then I'll get this podcast thing going. The thing that I messed up on was I didn't give them enough freedom. I kept too much control. And then eventually they got kind of stir crazy and, uh, and, and bounced. So they left, went and worked for another dealer, took all the knowledge that I just gave to them, like all the training that I just gave to them and took it somewhere else. And I was like, okay, at this point, I can either start over and try to build a new team from scratch, or I can just jump into this podcasting thing full time. And that seemed to make more sense to me because I just hated door to door so much by that point. So for the first time in my life, I took a massive pay cut to do something completely different um, and, uh, and made the full-time transition into podcasting, even though at the time I was only making like I don't know, four or 5,000 bucks a month or something um, through like the different revenue streams that I had had created off of it. Um, and I was used to, you know, six figures plus knocking doors. So we like got rid of our lease on this big, beautiful home that we had in Vegas, moved back in with my brother-in-law, I moved back and moved in with my brother-in-law um, in like a two bedroom apartment. But our total expenses were now like 450 bucks a month because we were splitting rent in a two bedroom apartment. Um, and so that was like really where I started like trying to build the business. Um, uh, but that was, that was the transition though, from like, once they left, once the team left, I was like, either I go back on doors or I have to go train new people. In which case I still have to go back on doors enough to make, bring in new people. I don't want to do that. And I broke ties, cut my living expenses like crazy and went into uh, the online, online world full-time. Such a cool story. And I, uh, I just love it so much because it is, uh, you burned a lot of your boats and just went all in. And that's one of my favorite things about it is you just literally just like, this is it. This is where I'm going. And I'm, I'm going all in on it. And uh, obviously, I've, I've come up very successful on the other end. What was one of the biggest fears you had going into it? Aside from, oh, if I don't make money, but what were some of the other like fears or limiting beliefs that you had going in that you had to overcome? Yeah. Podcasting is such a public way to fail. You know, like if you if you attempt some other form of business, some especially like a local business or service business or something like that, people don't know 
the success or failure of the thing that you're attempting. Podcasting is a very public display of whether or not it's going to be successful. And so for the first period of time, it felt like it wasn't going to work. And I knew that there was a lot of people from my past that were actively rooting against me. And so I was fearful that they would be right. That all of the people that were saying that, oh, there goes Travis doing this stupid thing again, you know, like, oh yeah, he's doing some podcasts, like, oh yeah. And then, you know, mocking, make, making fun of what, you know, the things I'm trying to do. I thought that, you know, they're, they're going to be right. And that's going to suck. I don't have to like, with my tail between my legs, go back to knocking doors for a living. Um, and so, you know, beyond being able to pay my bills and eat, those were, those were definitely some of the fears that I, that I was feeling at the time. And you've had uh, a hell of a run with your podcasting, man. And, and Build Your Network has talked to some incredible guests. You know, just off the top of your head, who's some of the biggest names that you spoke to? Uh, well, I mean, this one is literally the biggest and also the most famous, which would be Shaq. Um, he was uh, he was just, he was like a dream come true for me. He's like a childhood hero of mine. I had bobbleheads and jerseys and murals and pictures and cards and all that stuff with Shaq growing up. So that one was really awesome. Uh, Rob Deerdeck was a lot of fun. Uh, the host of ridiculousness and MTV. Um, he's got, he's got a venture. It's really a venture fund. He calls it a venture creation studio where they like invest half a million to a million in early stage companies. And he takes a large equity percentage, but then helps them with like a go-to-market strategy and branding and everything like that. And they've created like over a half a billion dollars in enterprise value in the last five years with their 16 or 17 investments that they've done. Sure. Super interesting guy to talk to, really, really fun interview. Um, and then more like on the in the business world to be more like the Grant Cardones and John Maxwell and Tom Bilyeu and um, Tillman Fertitta, the billionaire um, owner of the Houston Rockets. Yeah. Huge um, names. Like people like Molly Bloom too, with an incredible story. Like Molly what's Bloom. it, yeah. What's it like, or what's it been like, like take us back to like 2017 when you're like, sweet, I'm gonna try this podcasting thing and have some kick-ass conversations with some kick-ass people. Like, did you ever think that Shaq would come on your, your podcast? What's that journey been like mentally for you of like, I want to go talk to my childhood hero. Like I, I, I don't know how I don't know how like super realistic I felt that it was back then, but I I wrote it down, you know, like I, I was writing out my dream, my dream list of people I want on my show. And like I always like I we we train our, our coaching clients is like segment your list. You you write a list of like dream people you want to bring on, segment that list. Some of them are gonna be like more attainable, but still dream. Some of them are gonna be like one connection away, dream client or dream interviews. But then some of them are gonna be like upper echelon. Like I have no idea how this is gonna work, but like this is the dream. I would love to have a conversation with this person. Um, and Shaq was like one of the first names I ever wrote down. And so like like I said, I I had this kind of realization pretty early on that it was like. I immediately would write off in my head, you know, like, oh, I'd love to talk to that person. And immediately I would go, that's impossible. But then I caught myself after a while and I'm just like, well, they're like a living, breathing human being, right? So like, as long as they have a pulse, it's possible to connect with them. You just have to be willing to put in the work to figure out how. And a lot of people, it's not worth the work because it is a lot of work. But some people, it is worth the work. And that was kind of the shacks of the world to me. It was just like, there, there's a way to do it. Right, like I just have to figure out how to do it. Who do who can I connect with? Who can I uh, 
who can I get an introduction from? Or are they going to be speaking at an event anytime soon? Or um, do they have a, a charity that they care about? Like, is there, you know, like, is there something, is there some way that I can get in touch with this person, add a little bit of value and get a conversation with them? Um, and eventually it just like the more that it started to happen where like these dream interviews started being knocked off of my list one by one, the more I believed that it was possible. You know what I'm saying? Like I had like the the belief in kind of like from a position of hope and faith, but then once we started like knocking one out, oh, we got another one. Oh, we got another one. Oh, we got another one. It was like every single time it was just another vote of confidence that was just like, boom, if you get in the right room, if you do the right thing, if you reach out, if you're persistent, if you do good work, if you're a quality person, if you add value, all those things add up over time and you can connect with almost anybody you want to connect with. How, how has that belief in yourself changed like over the last short term I'll say six months after already seeing some success and probably getting to that kind of pretty close to peak, like what you saw yourself as in the early days, what are your goals like now to go even bigger to like, do you have another level of guests that you're like, you know what, my shack has been completed. Now I want to talk to Elon and Branson and Buffett and, you know, all these next people, like what's that belief like now? Yeah, right now my focus is more on the business than it is on the podcast. So at the very beginning, it was a hundred percent podcast focused. I had no idea that even what the business model was going to be. Uh, but now that like the business is there, I'm really starting to understand that like if revenue comes first, then doors fly open a lot faster than they do if you're just trying to like knock on the right doors, be super persistent, reach out through warm organic methods, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and like perfect example of this, and again, or not again, but if you uh, it, like regardless of political affiliation, I'm not praising or like frowning upon or whatever. Yeah. Frowning upon either way, but the principle holds true. You look at somebody like Grant Cardone, who was able to bring in Donald Trump to speak at his conference this past 10 X again, regardless of how you feel about it, that's an impressive feat to be able to get Very. a former sitting U S president to speak at your event, regardless of who it is. Um, and, uh, he didn't do that through like warm, organic reach out methods and creating an awesome relationship with Donald Trump. I'm 99% sure he wrote him a big fat check and that big fat check got his ass in like stay on stage. You know what I'm saying? Like, so that, that's kind of where, where my focus is now is like, yes, I still want to create awesome content. I still want to talk to amazing people. Um, but, but currently I would rather like focus the majority of my time on, creating revenue and enterprise value in my company. Uh, because I think in the long term, that's what's going to open a lot more doors and shortcut the line to a lot more of the people that I really want to talk to and have conversations with. Ties into my next question that I really want to ask you. And it's a question you ask everybody, but it's what's more important, who you know, or what you know. And I'd love to know your answer from 2017 when you started to today. Yeah, I still say who you know. It's always been who you know for me. Um, in fact, like Fun fact, when I started the show, I originally wrote out the question, who you know or what you know, because I thought it was going to be like a laydown. Because I always heard the phrase like, oh, who you know is more important than what you know. So I was like, okay, so I'm going to ask this question. They're going to say who you know. We're going to agree, high five, and like talk about how awesome building relationships and networking is. I started asking the question and I started getting all these crazy mixed answers to the question. It's like, well, it's not who you know, it's what you know. It's it's actually, you know, who you know with, it's what you know with who you know. It's it's not who who you know, it's who knows you. I started getting like this crazy like mixture of, of, of answers to the question, but my answer is still the same, which is who you know. And 
and whatever variations you want to add, like a lot of people will add, you know, like, well, it's who know with what you know, or it's, it's, it's who knows you or whatever. Like anytime somebody does that to me, it's the same answer, like who you, but it's still who, you know, like if you, you throw an embellishment on it, whatever, it's still who, you know, cause like, I don't mean it as like, oh, I know the rock because I saw his movie. Like I'm, I'm meaning it as like a personal, like a relationship with somebody is how I take it when I say who, you know, so I think it's who, you know, and frankly, it's just because I've found that it's the number one way to compress a timeline. Um, and if, if you're a true entrepreneur, I think that you understand one thing and that's that time is more valuable than money. Um, you know, 90% of people think money is more valuable than time. That's why they hold on to it. So, so you know, so much. They grasp it so much. They have a scarcity mindset around money because they've never had any of it and they don't know anybody who has any of it. And so they think that it's in, that it's in, uh, that it's in scarce su- supply. And so that's why they're willing to trade their time for dollars because they're in their mind, the dollar is more, the, is the more valuable asset. Well, that's completely wrong and it's backwards. Time is the more valuable asset. And the most successful people understand that, um, in, uh, uh, to its like you know in, in its in its entirety, uh, the most successful people truly understand that time is the most viable asset that we have because it's by definition the only asset that's not replenishable. You can replenish money. You lose money, you can make it back. You know what I mean? Like that that was always been my philosophy with like investing in masterminds or investing in myself. It's like if I want to be somebody that's making like ten million, twenty million, forty million, fifty million dollars a year, then like why am I worried about fifteen grand? Like if this 15 grand will give me a piece of advice or relationship with somebody that can save me a year and a half of beating my head against a wall, trying to solve this problem, that's a hundred, like it's easily worth the money. You know what I mean? Cause I can go get 15 grand back tomorrow or like, and at the time, at the time when I would invest in 15 grand, I didn't know how to do it in a day. Right. But I knew how to do it in a month. You know what I mean? And so like, if you're looking at this and like 15 grand is a lot of money, well, how long does it take you to make 15 grand? If it's like, oh, well, it takes me six months to make 15 grand right now. Okay. We'll go acquire some new skill sets by buying more people's time. And then now you can make 15 grand in three months instead of six months. And then you can make it in one month instead of three months. Then you can make it in a week instead of in a month. And then you can make it in a day instead of a week. You know, like you, you start to compress that timeline by which it takes you to earn that income. Then you can take that money and go purchase more of other people's time who figured out the thing that you want to figure out and they can help you speed up that process in an exponential way. You could take the next five years trying to figure out a problem that somebody might already know the answer to because they took five years to figure it out. You know what I mean? So like, why not just pay them a bunch of money and get their advice, spend some time with them, uh, shortcut the line. Like I, I always look at it as like, it's the fast pass. Uh, to whatever you want to be successful in, if it's business, if it's acting, if it's comedy, if it's you know uh, flying a plane, like whatever it is, like if you go to the person who's the best at that thing, you will learn at an exponential rate compared to everybody else who just has a book or watches a course or something like that. I couldn't agree more. And live events and masterminds and uh, those kinds of things are what have propelled, uh, I think, all of us up faster, further. And you know, we always joke about I pay for my friends, like. Our best friends are people from these networks where they've paid that amount of money to be there because you get surrounded by people that are willing to spend that kind of money and think like Travis Chapel going, wow, $15,000 is a cheap investment if it's going to teach me how to make $100,000 in the next month versus the next year. And I absolutely love that. And um, that mentality is something that I love and getting surrounded by those people. But I know you're very good at thinking bigger. You know, you started out by just knocking on some doors, then you went into the podcast 
and now you're creating a uh, software startup company. So you're continually trying to peak to that next level. What inspires you to keep wanting more? I think it's just clarity around what I'm doing it for. Um, like you, you always, you know, hear that like your why should make you cry type of a thing, and everybody's talking about find your why. Simon Sinek says start with why, uh, but I think that's so true uh, because I, I have clarity around the idea that I don't want to work the rest. Of, I don't want to have to work the rest of my life. I likely will work the rest of my life because I think I'd go crazy not working. But the ability to choose how you work, what you work on, and who you work with, and like all those other things. That to me is so, so, so valuable that I'm willing to take big gambles and take big risks and um, and put everything on the line and go like, uh, if this doesn't work out, I'm kind of screwed. But I would rather take these big risks to live the life that I want to live than sit on my hands and be afraid of action and then regret when I'm 90 years old that I didn't take bigger action. Because like at the end of the day, like you fast forward to that the rocking chair test is what is I think Tony Robbins is the one who popularized this, but I come back to it all the time. Imagine you're sitting on your front porch, you're 90 something years old and you're in your rocking chair and you're reflecting on your life. Whenever I come to a big decision, I put myself in that rocking chair test and I ask, will I regret not doing this thing or will I regret doing this thing? And if, and if I think I'm going to regret it when I'm 90, I do it. Because I don't want to like that's got to be that's got to be the worst feeling in the entire world is to sit there at the end of your life knowing that you're basically done and wishing you could go do it again, like wishing so bad that you had a second chance, you know, because like all the stupid, silly little fears, like the fear I was telling you about earlier, we're like, you know, what, what if these people that I grew up with, like they're making fun of me? I know I already know that they're mocking me. What if they're right? Where are they when I'm 90? It's, they're not going to be anywhere to be found. It's only the people that are like closest to me in my life. They're going to be surrounding me when I'm 90. Like they're not going to care either way. They're going to love me because I'm me. Who the F cares about what that other person thinks? You know, they're not going to be around then. I want to live a life in a way where like I look in the mirror and I'm happy with the person that's looking back and that my family knows that I like left it all on the line. You know what I mean? And so when I look at that, it's very much like, fast forward, put myself in that rocking chair and ask myself, like, is this something I'm going to regret? You know, if I, if I don't, if I don't try this and that was how it was with the software company easy. Like that, that was like the main thing that made me start it was just like, I, I, I knew it was going to be hard. I didn't know it was going to be as hard as it ended up being, <laughs> by the way, software is a very interesting world, especially if you're no idea how to write a line of code. I, I didn't know how difficult it was going to be, but I knew that it was going to be difficult. Um, but when I sat there and put myself in the rocking chair, I was just like, this is one of those ideas that could potentially blow up and be worth a ton of money. And so if I, if I don't take a stab at this to go back to some other like, quote unquote, safer route through like, you know, high ticket sales or something like that, let's say, because that's probably what I would do if I didn't start a new business, I'd probably just be selling somebody else's offer a high ticket and trying to make 20, 30, $40,000 a month or something like that which is great income and would probably provide a really great life for me. But would it provide the life that this software company could provide if everything goes the way that I want it to go and we have a big exit and things like that? Absolutely not. Not even close, especially not on the timeline that I wanted it to be in. So when I put myself in that rocking chair, it's just like, man, do I really want to worry about like, am I going to be worried about 
losing a couple years on a project or like wasting some money on something at that point in my life? Probably not. I'm just going to wish I would have taken more at bats. You know, like if, if I didn't end up living the dream version of my life, I'm going to be wondering every step of the way, what would have happened if I took that step? And I don't think I could live with that question. I, I think that question would eat me alive. Such a strong question. And it's something that I've uh, reflected on a lot just the last, this year, like 2022. Uh, it was some monumental changes anyways, in, in my own mindset, but uh, let's pause for one second. And there's a knock on your door and it's Christopher Lloyd, the doctor from uh, the doc from uh, back to the future. And he passes you the keys to the DeLorean. It's programmed to the very beginning when you get that light bulb of like, you know what, I'm gonna do this. What do you change? Like what's something software you're saying specifically? Yeah. Software as long as well as the podcast, like what would you change along the way if you can go do it again to go even bigger? So if I went like at the very beginning of like online business world, I would have chosen my self-investment spend more wisely and embraced the idea of online marketing sooner. It, it probably cost me a couple years of time uh, when at the very beginning, because I did not want to become an online marketer. I like, I, I push it off so much. Like I was like, I don't want to learn funnels. I don't want to learn email. I don't want to learn copy. I don't want to learn VSLs. I don't want to learn webinars. I don't want to learn any of that. I just want to be a podcaster. And, uh, frankly, I, I wasted too much time trying to like resist that. Um, when, when at the end of the day, I should have embraced it and thrown on the marketing hat and asked myself, what do I not know? And gotten really good at something in marketing. I think that would have saved me a lot of time and made me more money, including in the software, by the way. And then beginning of the software, I, uh, you know, everything happens for a reason. And so like, obviously these things are, you know, take it with a grain of salt, but I, I think at the beginning, like if I were advising somebody else on how to get started, I would say like, what can you do manually that you do not have to code out to still prove the core concept of the software or still solve the core problem of the market you're trying to work with? Because I probably have invested about a half a million dollars into building out the software that we have right now. And uh, I probably would have only needed half of that if I would have known what I know now about the version of the product that people actually wanted to see from me. So I, I wish I would have started with more of like a minimum viable concept and marketed that. Like, so if you, so right now, uh, the way that we're bringing in a lot of revenue is we have an agency on the back end of our, of our software product. And the agency is bringing in a lot more revenue than the software right now because it's high ticket and the software is low ticket. So like, if I could go back in time, I wish I would have just like started an agency doing what we're doing now and then self-funded the very minimum viable version of the product that would fulfill the agency side of what we're doing, but with revenue that we're making on the agency. Um, that would, that's what I would have done differently for sure on the software. Because you can waste so much money um, building software. Like I've, I've invested a half a million. I have friends with horror stories where they've put two, $3 million into a project and it just didn't even work the way that they wanted it to work. And just there's, you can waste a lot of money uh, building software and have it be completely a waste. So um, just be careful with stuff like that. And, uh, and you know, try to yeah. think about coming at it from a different angle, you know? Steve and I dabbled in uh, a little bit of that. And, and once you, it's concept is easy, but actually building it and creating it and starting getting into the underwriting of it all and everything. You're like, it's just a, it's, it's a very hard challenge. And what you're creating is absolutely amazing. And um, connecting podcast guests to podcasters and everything in between is uh, one of the most 
um, I don't know, I'll say like inspirational things that you're doing inside of build your network. Like it's so true to your brand and what you started with that I think it's amazing. I want to shift gears a little bit here and get into a little bit of the give big side. So obviously you're a big think you're going big, you're doing this kind of stuff. What are you doing on the giving side now? Uh, obviously we met inside of a mastermind where it's all about making money matter. Yeah. What, what's inspiring you now with your giving? Yeah. So fun fact, I didn't even know that that was the focus of the mastermind when I joined. <laughs> no way. Like I, cause I, cause I was standing in the back selling journals for John Lee Dumas at the first, first thrive I went to. So I didn't hear the pitch at all. I just, I found out that Cole had a mastermind. I liked that he did real estate and I liked that he like spoke on stages and stuff. And I was like, that seems kind of cool. And so I uh, just asked a couple of people that were in the group um, and they were like, yeah, it's really good. You know? And, uh, so I was like, all right, here's 15 grand. And then I got in and realized that it was about like adding a for purpose model to your business. And I was like, I'm just here to learn how to have a business. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like I'll worry about giving away money when I start making some, you know? Um, but, uh, but anyway, to answer your question, uh, the, the one thing that we're trying to do right now with Guestio specifically is, so we work with a lot of like big brands and celebrities, um, especially on the marketplace side of the, of the software. It's similar to Cameo in that sense. So if you want to interview somebody in your podcast, you can go on there. You can book like Manny Pacquiao to be on your show. You can book Les Brown to be on your show. And they assign fees to like, it's like a speaking fee, but for podcasting. And then we make a percentage. And so what we're doing is we're working with some people right now uh, that, that have uh, charities and organizations that they like to give money to, or that they own or operate at least in some regard. And so what we're doing is we're building in a charity feature that allows anybody with a booking fee inside of the guest marketplace to donate the funds directly to a charity of their choice, rather than like taking them for themselves. So if you list yourself and you go like, yeah, I'm a thousand, it's a thousand bucks to book me as a guest. Um, then you can make it to where like a hundred percent or a, por- a portion of a per of a percentage of the of the booking fee that you charge goes directly to the charity of your choice. Dude, that is so inspirational. Like that's so cool. When you start thinking about the mass of volume, and if I think like I know Travis Trappel thinks, this isn't just a small company you're creating. You're thinking massive people. I mean, you start getting people on there like Les Brown and. David Meltzer and some of these other people that could easily start charging some, some fairly decent sized fees. You start taking some of those donations and I'd love to see what in five years from now, that total tracked amount. Cause even for, for guys like us, you know, somebody pays you 500 bucks to come on a podcast or 300 bucks. It's like, it's not life-changing to you. It doesn't really change right. your bank account, you know, 300 right. bucks. It's, it's a nice night out and that's it. But donating $300 every time I go on a podcast now I'm inspired to maybe just get on a few more podcasts and make some more donations to a charity. Right. That to me is the definition of go big to give big of inspiring people to go bigger, do a few more podcasts to give it out on the back end. And I think it's a really cool component that you're tying into it. Yeah. And especially because, especially because we market the booking fee as exactly kind of what you're saying. Like we, we, we actively tell people like, this is not, this should not be your main income stream. Like this is not what's going to, like you're not going to retire off of this income, you know, but if your speaking fee is a hundred thousand dollars, make your podcast booking fee five grand and donate it to a charity. Like the only reason that it's there is just like, there's so many people that are really well known. They get 20, 30, 40 requests, 200, 500 requests a month to like go on somebody's podcast. And they absolutely just physically cannot say yes to all the opportunities that are presented to them. And so our pitch is like, hey, just direct them to your Guestio page. 
You know, you can like, even if you're getting booked at speaking fees for five, 50,000 bucks, 30,000 bucks, doesn't matter. Just put your fee at $500 for a podcast interview. It has nothing to do with the amount of money you're going to make. It has everything to do with putting a paywall between you and people who want your time. Because people who pay, pay attention. And people that are going to pay are not going to be interviewers that are not going to know your name or not know what you do for a living or have never released a podcast episode before. People that are going to pay the 500 bucks are people that are going to be higher quality interviews that aren't going to waste your time. And so if you just set that dollar amount to something that just is like puts a paywall between you and everybody else, and then you donate that fee, then it makes a lot more sense. Um, especially because like, you know, especially for some of these people that are like the A-listers, you know, like the shacks of the world, they don't need, like, they would have to charge a hundred grand for, to make it worth their time. If they're only charging for a 30 minute interview. You know, like it just doesn't even make sense. Like, so they're looking at it as like this fan wants to connect with me, but I'm not going to charge that fan a hundred grand. Like, they might only have a half a million dollars to their name, and I'm, you know, worth three hundred million. Like, why am I going to charge that fan a hundred grand to go on their show? Like, pay me five grand, and I'll just donate it to a charity. You know, but the five grand is enough to separate, you know, separate that person from the thousands of requests that are coming in all the time. I think it's Bob Proctor who says, I want to be rich from what I give to the world, not from what I take from it. Mm. What does Travis Chapel want to leave as his mark or his impact on the world when you look throughout the rest of your life? Yeah. Um, so if you ever listen to my show, I sign off the Belgian Network podcast with um, uh, leave every relationship better than you found it. That was like something that was really, that meant a lot to me. And that's kind of like part of the legacy that I want to leave behind is that, you know, you obviously can't, you can't make friends with everybody and everybody's going to have haters. If you do anything big in the world, some people are going to hate you. But for the most part, I want every person that I cut, that I come in contact with to view their time with me as being largely valuable for their life as time well spent as like he like helped with this thing, or there was some sort of value that they got from, from hanging out with me or being around me or consuming my content or buying a product or buying a service or, you know, exchanging their money for something from me. Like I, I I just, I I want, I want everybody who comes in contact, whether it's me donating money or whether it's somebody paying me money, like it's just, if you leave them with more value than the thing that they left you with, I think that that's a really good mark to strive for. That's huge. And I think that's so true. And uh, I think it was Cole Hatter was the one that said to us, you know, I don't want people just sitting in the, in the chairs at my funeral. I want everyone standing up fighting for the microphone, sharing about the impact that I had. And that's a true example of that as leaving every relationship better than you found it. So if they come to your funeral, they have something they want to say. Yep. Um, last question here before we move on to uh, a bit more of uh, some, some of our giving round. Why do you believe others should pursue success with the idea of giving back? So obviously you've built uh, Guestio out and then you've got a giving component in it. Why do you think others should build businesses with giving components in the pursuit of wanting to create success? Because I think a rising tide raises all ships. I think you're missing your true calling if you're only focused on what you can gain from the world. And frankly, I think it's going to be difficult, more difficult for you to get what you want. You know, Zig Ziglar said, you can have everything in life that you want if you help enough people get what they want. Every true entrepreneur understands that at a massive level, that your personal success largely relies on how successful you make other people. 
Um, and if, cause if you have a product or service doesn't solve a real problem, it's not going to be around for long and you're not gonna be able to charge much for it. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it all starts out of service to others. And I think that, I think that it makes more sense as a model to solve the world problem, the world's problems from for-profit organizations rather than nonprofit organizations. Um, because for-profit organizations draw in the revenue themselves that they then use to make an impact on the world around them. Whereas, you know, working in nonprofit is a, is a great calling, but you also always have to go raise money. Like money makes the world go round and it's awesome to have altruistic goals and intentions, but without don't like money from donors, you're just a person like trying to hand out clean water with the no money that you have and you can't build the well and you can't, you know what I mean? Like money is what helps you to be able to create a, a better impact. And so if, if you're pursuing success without the desire to give back, then I think it's going to be difficult for you to achieve success. And then if you're pursuing giving back without the desire for success for yourself, then I think you're always going to be that person on the plane trying to fit the oxygen mask on somebody else's face. You're just going to pass out before you help anybody. You know what I mean? You're going to burn out before you can actually really make an impact. Um, and so I think the highest calling is pursuing some level of both of those things. And you see that from all the top, like the Elon Musks of the world. The dude is a true entrepreneur through and through. He finds the world's biggest problems and he creates products and services that solve those problems. They turn a massive profit for himself, but he's also probably given away more money than 99.9% .9 of the world will ever make in like a year. You know what I mean? So uh, you're able to the 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 footprint that you're able to leave, the impact that you're able to make on the world around you when you are also successful yourself. Um, I think is just a better way to go about trying to achieve it. It's beautiful, man. Uh, last question, just before we jump into our rapid fire giving round. Uh, this one really speaks to the heart. And so uh, the question is like, what's one of your favorite moments of giving that you think back on to today, and it still gives you goosebumps. Um. Uh, so I, I don't, obviously you guys know, I don't really like talk about this kind of stuff very often, but, um, I'll try to get the, through this without crying, but, uh, a friend of mine who I've known since, let's see, I think she started coming to school with us around third grade, um, pretty tight with her dad. And obviously like the way that I grew up in that kind of bubble world, when I went to school with somebody, we had like 35 people in our class. So like I was in class with her from third grade all the way through college. She, we went to college together even for a year or two before she went somewhere else. Um, but she was diagnosed with uh, stomach cancer a couple of years ago. And, uh, she, uh, when she was going through her second or third round of chemo, she ended up beating it and it came back. And then, uh, they, obviously she was out of work for a long time. She was a nurse and her husband was out of work for a long time. And so they had a GoFundMe account set up and they had a goal that was like a really small goal. Um, I mean, small to me, obviously um, not small to, to most people. And a bunch of people were just donating to try to help push the goal, you know, over the line. And so I was able to come in and just take up the whole rest of it. Um, her, uh, her, dad who who i who i knew really well we were always kind of talking back and forth because he was a like true sales guy like through and through so we connected on a bunch of levels and we worked together in a couple things texted me um you know just to say thanks uh for supporting and then about 
Three months later, it came back and spread to her brain. And a couple months later, she ended up passing. Um, in our our uh, class, everybody that grew up with her, there's probably like, I don't know, we graduated like 40 people in our class. And um, probably 20 of us had been together since we were like super little. And so we had a big, you know, group chat and everybody, again, they were trying to get some money going for her like funeral and her for her husband and wanted to send some gifts to the family and stuff. And they're trying to bring in like a thousand bucks or 1500 bucks or something. And so I just bought the whole thing and sent them more money than they, you know, than they needed. And uh, they were able to take care of everything that they, they needed to take care of. So, you know, I'm not, you know, one to like push that kind of stuff, but to know that like the hours of hard work and beating my head against the wall and stress and anxiety that I've put myself through in this, you know, entrepreneurship world to be able to take that and translate it into like direct impact on people that I care about was, you know, obviously a really cool moment. Dude, that's so special. And thank you so much for sharing. I know how hard that is. And to me, it's just one of the most prolific things out there is when people start sharing about uh, stuff they don't share publicly, uh, about the impact they can make on somebody by just having some cash, you really start to understand the value of being in a position to make impact when others can't. And uh, I commend you, dude, for, for putting yourself in a position where you can make impact and doing it when you know you can. So you are a true class act in that space. And I honestly, man, I just am blown away by what you just shared. Appreciate it, bro. Yeah. Thank you for, thank you for getting at it, getting it out of me. (sighs) Kind of. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Well, let's, uh, Now that we've cracked you open and we've got you soft, let's jump into the the giving round here and hear some uh, quick one-word answers from you on uh, just some things about giving. So uh, number one, brag on a charity that you like. Uh, St. Jude's. I mean, I got a couple kids, man. Anything that helps the kids, I'm, I'm I'm all for it. Right on. What gets you more excited? Donating a million dollar check or spending a week physically helping others? I mean, for me, it's donating the money. Nice. Because I just think it just is something that uh, that not a lot of people can do. You know, So if you can donate, I, I have not ever written a million dollar check. I hope to one day, but um, I have not ever written that. But I can imagine how, how cool it would feel you know, to be able to do that. Because that million dollars you know, is like 30 people's week's work. You know what I mean? Of like pushing that cause forward. So I think that's cool. Who inspires you with their giving? Um, in terms of like the type of giving that I think is awesome. Someone like a Dan Fleischman is cool to me because, because he doesn't just give back through like doing charity work. He's constantly giving back to the entrepreneurship community and the community of people that are solving people's problems and making the, you know, the economy go around. He's constantly doing that, um, throwing free events. Like he does so many things for free. 
obviously it all comes back to him on the back end somehow through deals or relationships or investments or whatever. But like, I truly believe he has kind of this altruistic mentality around just adding value to the world around him. Um, and I think that's, that's a really cool way to think about it. Cause like I said, I, I probably won't ever be the type of person to be like a hundred percent in nonprofit work. Um, cause I just don't think it's like the best way to tackle the world's problems. Uh, but then in addition to all that, he also has his own nonprofit and his nonprofit is like an actual nonprofit where like he takes on hundred percent of the operating costs themselves and hundred percent of the money donated goes to the cause. Um, which, which is kind of one of those things about charities that I don't know if I have a problem with it, but it just makes it to me a less effective way of taking care of the problem when you have to have all these massive operating costs that are involved in actually doing it. And then you really boil it down. It's only like, oh, well, 12% of the money that I gave actually goes to the the person I wanted it to go to. It's just like, there's so much you know corruption and and stuff like that that happens with those. So seeing people like, like, a, like a Dan Fleischman who uh, makes a bunch of money doing everything else that he does, and then his nonprofit, 100% of the money you give goes directly to the, the, co- to, to, to the problem he's trying to solve. Um, and then he still finds all these other for-profit ways to kind of give back, but does it for free on the front end to, you know, maximize the impact that he has. I think that's cool. Could not agree more. Do you think that entrepreneurs should start giving right at the very beginning of their business or after they've had some success and some money in the bank? I think that you should only be giving if the cause is very important to you. I don't think that you should be giving just so that you could say that you give, um, uh, so I, I would say that, you know, fielder's choice on that one. It's, it's totally up to you on what you want to do, how much you want to give, um, and things like that. But I would just challenge people that like only really give to something. If you truly like want to f- push the cause, don't just give so that you can brag about how much you give, you know, beautiful answer. Uh, Giving can also be in so many different forms that aren't just writing checks, you know, they can come like Dan Fleischman with free programs, mentorships, resources, different kinds of things. What's one unique way that you give back? Hmm. Well, recently, to be honest, it has everything to do with my kids. Um, I know that's kind of a selfish way of giving back, but uh, because I enjoy being with my kids, but they take up basically all of my free time. <laughs> so like, it's, it's, uh, it's funny because I, I had a conversation with Aubrey Marcus uh, where I was asking him about if he, they were going to, if he's going to have kids or the same with Tom Bilyeu, Lisa Bilyeu. Um, and they were just like, no, probably not just because like, we know how much energy that would take from us. And we just feel like we want to serve the world on a greater level. And uh, I'm learning how much energy that takes from you to raise kids um, at the moment. So I got a two-year-old and a, and a, 18 month old, my two-year-old, he's going to be three soon. So three-year-old, 18 month old, and they take up a lot of my time. Um, and so I give, I give a lot of time back to them at the moment. Um, but, uh, but what that is one thing that we want to be really, uh, purposeful about is also raising them in a way that makes them give back to the community around them, especially because they'll kind of be growing up with maybe you know, the term would be privilege, you know, they'll, they'll be growing up in an environment that most kids don't grow up in. And so I want to make sure that they're always, you know, giving back and being a part of that type of culture. So right now my time in giving back is invested into making sure that they're good humans when they, when they get old enough to start giving back themselves. That's awesome. I'm sure you won't be sitting there in that rocking chair, you know, regretting that decision either by spending the time with the kids now when they're young and, uh, so pliable to the world. Uh, in one word, just describe the feeling you get when you give. 
joy. Cool. Love that, man. Well, the final question we have for you today, it's a common one we hear all the time. And similar to you, what you said about, you know, who you know versus what you know, and you're expecting one answer and it's completely just like turned into a random thing. We're seeing that with this question, but I'd love to ask you, do you believe that money can buy you happiness? Uh, I don't. I don't. I, I don't believe money can buy you happiness. I think that money is just a tool. I think that it amplifies whatever's on the inside. Um, however, I do think happiness is easier to to achieve if you have a bunch of money because it solves so many immediate problems that that most people that don't have money, it's like your internal your internal game on like making yourself happy and being fulfilled and being like content on the inside has to be that much stronger if you don't have money to help take care of a lot of the problems that life throws at you. Um, so I think happiness might be easier to achieve if you have a little bit of money, but ultimately it's really just an amplification of what you feel on the inside. So if you're miserable on the inside, you get a bunch of money, you're just a miserable person with a bunch of money. Now, if I'm going to be miserable, I'd rather have a bunch of money <laughs> to accompany my misery. You know what I mean? Um, but, uh, but no, I don't, I don't think, I don't think money can buy happiness. I guess Jordan Scoopar said, if I'm going to be miserable, I'd rather be miserable inside my, uh, my Porsche or something like that. Right. So yeah, I'd rather be miserable <laughs> flying on my jet to Bora yeah. Bora than like, you know, in slums and poverty, yeah, eating a bowl of ramen, you know. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for being so raw and real, hanging out with us and talking about how you are going bigger and giving bigger. Want to obviously give you a plug uh, for Guestio. We've been using it. It's been incredible for us. Take two seconds and just plug how people can get on that platform and start using it because it is going to be a game changer going forward. Yeah. So if you are a content creator, uh, you can get on there and you can get paid for guests to get booked on your show, which is really cool. Uh, we've had several creators that have, like we had one guy sign up a couple of weeks ago and made 15 grand his first week, just bringing on guests for a show. Um, we've had a lot of other people make three, 400 bucks or 1200 bucks or 1800 bucks or whatever it is. So that's pretty cool. If you are a content creator and you host people on your show. And then if you are a guest and you're looking to get booked on a bunch of shows, which you should be, if you're trying to increase credibility, grow brand awareness, get better, more backlinks and SEO for um, search terms that you want to rank for. If you want to network with great quality people, um, if you want to grab more sales, more lead gen opportunities, sell more of your offer, you should be trying to get booked on platforms. We call them um, really their online stages essentially is really what they are. So uh, you should have some sort of a platform marketing campaign active. And uh, that's what Guestio does. So you can go to guestio.com, um, sign up for a free account just to kind of test things out. And then if you want to go pro, it's 97 bucks and 97 bucks gets you 50 pitches a month. You can make 50 outbound pitches to guests or to uh, shows. Um, uh, no matter what side of the marketplace you're on, 97 bucks a month, you can send out 50 pitches and see a lot of results happen. We had one guy book 32 interviews in a month on Guestio with 97 bucks. So if you paid an agency to do that, it'd be like 15, $18,000. Um, he did it with 97 bucks. So I think it's pretty cool. Phenomenal, man. Well, I'm excited to watch that explode and excited to be a part of it and, uh, continue to be on the platform, blowing it up because it has been fantastic for us and our network. And that's it, man. Thank you again so much for coming on the show. Uh, truly inspiring and uh, just excited to continue to watch your journey and see what uh, Guestio can do for going bigger and giving bigger. Steve, Randy, appreciate you guys. It's 
been uh, been an awesome few years uh, seeing each other kind of grow and learn and get better and improve over time. So excited to see where the next four years take us. Hell yeah, man. Thank you so much, dude. Thank you for listening to the show. If you know someone who's an example of go big to get big, we would love if you could share this with them. We want to get our message out to as many listeners as we can. And it all starts by having people like you share it with your friends. Also, if you enjoyed the show, take 30 seconds and give us a five-star review. It's a simple act of giving that is free for you, helps us grow our message, and in return, allows others to find us sooner. And until the next episode, remember, always go bigger with your dreams and goals so you can give bigger with your profit.